great to see you guys here this morning. Um, we know that there's always people listening online as well, and so we would send out a big welcome to you. Um, maybe it's because you're serving in our kids' church, and if you are, thank you, thank you, thank you for all those who put on the blue shirts every week, even reluctantly sometimes, to go down and to just uh, to make a difference in the lives of our children. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, the faith that is instilled in them at a young age that carries through, that they can come, come back to if they walk away from, but that seeds are sown in their lives, it's powerful and strong, and we're super grateful for that uh, and for what you do. So thank you, thank you for that. Um, this morning, you know, I was just thinking that summer is just flying by, You're sitting outside the other night around the campfire, and it's like, man, it gets dark so quick again already. And it's like, no, no, it just, it was like, it just started, and now it's, it's, it's almost gone already, um, and, and a few weeks back, um, I, well, maybe it's a month, I, I don't know, J- Jamie would know exactly the day and time, I'm sure, um, but there was this major storm that came through, uh, I don't know if you guys, you know, you remember that rain was coming down sideways instead of down, and there was serious wind, and well, I was still living in Townsend at the time, and um, as we saw, I was looking out the window, this rain came, and uh, uh, my kids right away ran outside, and there was hail coming down, and, and Max is just like in his Lori's running around picking up hail off the driveway and eating it. Dad, look, food from heaven, right? And, and uh, uh, he was, um, they had just paved the streets and towns, and so they were really black and really, really hot, and, the, and this rain came down, and it was so warm, it was just a stream running down the street, and there's Max laying in the, in the gutter of it, just allowing the warm water to wash over him, and he's singing and smiling and just having a great time, and all the neighbors are like running for cover and pointing, and like, you know, we're thinking, yeah, look, at they're cheering along with us, you know, look how much fun our son is having, no idea that like there's a tornado going through just, a, you know, a couple uh, kilometers away, not wisdom. Uh, that, that, but that's not the point. Today, you know, the point is that in the same storm, there can be different reactions and different responses. You know, and in the, for one, there's this, this joy and there's this laughter and there's this whatever, this glee, and, and others are like, take cover, take cover. Uh, last week, uh, we had VBS, and it was an incredible, incredible week. And, uh, you know, as we were, I was teaching some of the, you know, some of the lessons, and, and I knew all the stories, which is good because I was teaching the lessons, but uh, there was one that I'd heard many, many times, and yet it, it was the last lesson. It was this thing called Jesus Gives Me Joy, and it just never, I, could, I have not been able to get it out of my head or my heart uh, uh, over the past, you know, 10 days. It's just been sitting there, uh, and so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about that thought that Jesus gives me joy. Um, following Jesus back in the, in, the, in the time when Jesus was on the planet was unlike, you know, following any, any other religion. You actually, you actually had to follow someone. So when Jesus went somewhere, his, his guys couldn't be like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus. You know, we have lots of people say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Back then, there was no such thing as Christians. They called them the followers of Jesus because they followed Jesus. So when, you know, if you were going to be a follower, you actually had to move. You actually had to do something. And so when Jesus was like, hey, guys, we're going to go to this place, they're like, okay, see you later. Hey, everybody, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'd be like, no, you're not. Why aren't you following Jesus? And so they knew exactly who the ones who were, who were followers of Jesus because they followed him. But he had this, he would say stuff that would just make them scratch their heads. What he said didn't sound like anybody else's uh, type of stuff that they talked about uh, in those days. It wasn't like the Roman kingdom. It wasn't like, a, it, was, it was a strange kingdom he talked about. It was like inside out and it was upside down and he would say things like, the least is the greatest. I'm like, well, which one is it then? 
The least is the greatest. He's like, you want to be great? You become a servant. And they're like, no, we want to be great so we can have servants. He's like, no, no, it's the other way around. And then he would take a child and he'd put a child in front of them and say to all the adults, hey, hey everybody, look at this kid. I want you guys to be more like this kid. Like, what? Kids are like, they're not even valuable. We don't even know if they're going to make it to adulthood. What do you want us to be more like them? They need, we've been trying to tell them, be more like us. And he's like, no, no, it's the other way around. You, you need to trust like they trust. You need to be more like them. And then he would say things like, blessed are the poor. Well, everybody in that time frame thought, if you were poor, then God must be cursing you. You know, that's why you're poor. You know, you must have done something. Or your parents or the fourth and fifth generation back. That's why your family's poor. God must be angry at you. And he'd be like, no, it's not, it's not like that at all. He says, you know, the poor are the ones who are really actually blessed. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and they would just, time after time after time, would have these things where like, okay, that, that doesn't make sense, but it rings true. That, that sounds true. And he would talk to them uh, about this thing called joy. You know, we all know what happiness is, and we were trying to explain to the kids the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is when things happen that, that make you happy. And you can, you can, um, you can manufacture happiness. Uh, we, we do it all the time, actually. Every Christmas, we manufacture happiness. We, you know, maybe for you, happiness is all the kids together around your table. So what do you do? You call them, you invite them, you say, hey, you know, we cooked, we cooked chicken and we're serving cheese or shake and bake or whatever it is. And they're like, okay, we're coming. And, and there you are sitting around your table with all your children and you're happy. Why? Because something happened. Or, or it's the gifts that are given. They open it like, yeah, it's what I wanted. And, and, and there's manufactured happiness because something happened. And Jesus would talk to his followers and say, you know, there's this, there's this element of happiness that happens, this gladness that happens when things are going well. But he would encourage them and challenge them to have this thing called joy on the inside, which was a gladness no matter the circumstance, to have a right attitude no matter what the altitude. You know, when you were soaring high, yeah, there was a gladness, but when you were crashing, there was still this, this inner strength, this inner gladness that was carrying you through. And and they found this difficult. And then James, James, who was the brother of Jesus, uh, he didn't follow Jesus his whole life. And I don't blame him, and neither would you. Because how many of you, how many of you have an older brother? A few of you? Some of you can imagine what it would be like. Um, if, you have, if you have an older brother, um, what would your older brother have to tell you or do to, to prove to you that he was the son of God? Exactly, right? We, we sometimes don't think about that, but here's James, and here's his older brother saying, hey, I'm, I'm the son of God. You should follow me. And they're like, you're a wacko. No way. You know, you're my brother. You're, you're, you're not God, right? You, you're not. And, 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 then, and then yet something happened that changed James' mind so profoundly that not only would he follow his brother and call him his Lord and call him the son of God, but he would die for that truth. What, what do you think that could have been? We sang about this morning. He watched his brother die on a cross, and then a few days later, he's having breakfast with him. He's like, okay, if you can rise from the dead, then you are. You are who you say you are. You are who you claimed you were. You actually are God. And it was James who was so convinced that his brother was the son of God. And approximately you know, 30 years after Jesus had died and rose from the dead, James was, uh, he was, he was telling everybody about my, my brother who is 
who is the son of God. And, and uh, he would teach people what Jesus was teaching. And he began to lead a whole group of new Jesus followers. So they kind of called him the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. And, and uh, his following was, you know, it was growing as he was encouraging them. And then he got to this place where he was getting older. He began to write down his thoughts so that, you know, others could read them. And it was a good thing he did because uh, shortly after that, he was martyred for, for believing that Jesus was the Son of God. And, but here's the letter that we have, which is pretty incredible, that today, 2,000 years later, we're reading, translated in our own language, an ancient document, an ancient letter from this man, James. And he, here's what he writes. James uh, he says, this is a letter... From James, I'm a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a, I'm a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, the Jewish believers who are scattered abroad, greetings. The reason they were scattered abroad is because in Jerusalem, they were getting persecuted for following Jesus. And so they went everywhere but Jerusalem. He writes to them. He's like, hey, I know that you're, you, you, know, you didn't go on a camping trip. You didn't go on a fishing trip. I know where you went. You went there not because you wanted to. You went because you were scared for your very life. And he says, greetings. And then he writes this. Dear brothers and sisters, you know, when troubles of any kind come your way, when temptations, when trials, when struggles, those temptations to to sin, to doubt, to not trust God come your way, he says, consider an opportunity for great joy. That's one of those things, again, that just doesn't sound It doesn't sound right at face value. You know, consider a time for great joy when everything is going horribly wrong. That that just doesn't make sense. And yet he says, "This this is what's happening in your life. He says, for you know, he says, when your faith or when your trust is tested by these storms, by these trials, he says, your endurance has a chance to grow. And when it has a chance to grow, it it causes you to become perfect. And that word means whole. There's something that God's still at work in your life, even if the trials are going on around you. And he says, think of, it as, think of it as an opportunity for joy. When you look at it, consider it, remember that it's an opportunity for this joy, this, this strength on the inside, this gladness on the inside to keep carrying you through. That when you ask the question, can I trust you, God, in this situation? That the answer is yes. Can I trust you in this situation? Yeah. Acts chapter 16 we have a chance to read a journal by a guy named Luke. Luke was a historian. He traveled around the world with a a guy named Paul. And he would jot down in his notebook things of where they went and what happened along the way. Paul, for those of you who know, was previously known as Saul of Tarsus. He was like a terror to the church. He hated everything to do with Jesus. His whole mission was like, let's just wipe out anything that has to do with Jesus, whatever it takes. Put him in prison, kill him, doesn't matter. Last night we were saying it would be like somebody, you know, saying, I just want to wipe out everything Dunville. You know, if, if you, is anybody from Dunville here today? Oh, good. So we can talk about it. So he's like, we're going to wipe out, we're going to wipe out everything Dunville, right? Like, he's like, if they've, if they've ever, you know, if they were born in Dunville, raised in Dunville, if, they, if, if they've ever even been to Dunville, like if, if their last name's Dunville, it doesn't matter, they're done. And he would go and he was just out of vengeance, And wherever he found people, he would drag them out of their homes, put them in prison, put them in chains. And so he was on one of these trips to a place called Damascus. He was looking for anybody who claimed that they were a follower of Jesus. A lot of these people would have been the people that James was actually writing to. And it was on his mission to do that that he met Jesus. He had an experience with Jesus. And he didn't meet Jesus physically. He wasn't like the other disciples that he saw Jesus walking and talking But something happened to him that was so powerful that it changed his life 180 degrees. 
It's what skeptics, skeptics of the New Testament have so much trouble with this one thing. Because they can't deny that there was a guy named Paul who absolutely hated the church, who was on a mission to destroy it, and then for some reason decided to go the other way and did the most possible for the church in his lifetime. Something happened to this man. And many of you who are followers of Jesus today would say, yeah, there was something that happened to me. There was that moment where I remember as a teenager where I thought, you know, the world, the world was against me, that there, God didn't love me. I didn't even know if he was there. And then something gripped my heart, the, the very presence of God saying, Mark, you're not a mistake, and I love you, and I have plans for you. And, uh, you know, you, you, the, the opportunity for you to come follow me is right there on the table. And I remember taking that opportunity and seeing something change on the inside of me, a person who was terrified to talk to anybody. To do what I'm doing now is just proof of the presence of God that can change a life. Well, Paul has this experience that absolutely changes um, his life, and he goes on to follow Jesus. And many of you have that question, how do I follow Jesus when I can't see him? See, we read the Bible stories, and we're like, well, it must have been easy for them. They can see him. It's like, Jesus went that way? Okay, we'll go that way. How do I follow somebody I can't see? I love how Luke writes about it because in Acts chapter 16, here's what he writes. Verse 6, he says, Next, Paul and Silas traveled to the area of Phrygia and Galatia because the Holy Spirit had prevented them from preaching the word in the province of Asia at that time. Here they were. They're like, God, we're gonna, okay, we're going to follow you. We're going to go preach the gospel. That's what you told us to do. We're going to go to Asia. You know, and uh, they're on their way there. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, something in here, just, I just feel like I can't. I just feel like I can't. Something in here is preventing me from going there. So they said, they decided then they would go to the borders of Mycenae and they headed north for the province of Bithynia. They said, well, if we can't go to Asia, okay, God, we'll go preach the word in Bithynia. But again, it says the spirit of Jesus, because that's who Holy Spirit is. It's the very spirit of Jesus that lives in every believer. And that voice on the inside, again, it says, it, it, it did not allow them to go there. Verse 8 says, so instead they went on through Mycenae to the seaport of Troas. So they're, they're just, they're, they're living out their life and he's like, no, not there. And they're like, okay, we're going to go. No, not there. And as they get to this place in Troas, it says um, on verse 9, that that very night, Paul has a vision. You know, whether that's a, you know, while he's asleep or whether he's awake, he has a vision. He sees a picture in his mind. And it says this, he sees this, a man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come to Macedonia and help us. Come to Macedonia and help us. Come to Macedonia and help us. And here's what he says in verse 10. So we, we is Paul, Silas, and Luke. Luke's with them. He writes, he says, so we decided to leave for Macedonia at once. Why? Because we concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. It was like I had this picture. It was like this 10 second thing. All of a sudden this thought, huh, there's, I just feel like there's people in Macedonia who are calling us to come help. Oh, well, that's why we didn't go to Asia. That's why we didn't go to Bithynia. Hey, let's follow, let's follow Jesus, his leading there. Well, they end up there. They end up meeting some people. They end up finding a, a chance to, to uh, lead some people to become followers of Jesus, and they hang out with these people. And then here's where the story picks up. If you fast forward a few verses to verse 16. It says in verse 16, one day, so it was just, they had been there for a while, and here's this one particular day. One day, she says, we were just going down to the place of prayer. We were just doing what Jesus' followers do. We were spending time talking with our Heavenly Father. They went to a place of prayer. She says, we met a slave girl uh, this day, and she had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. So she earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. And so she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. These men are servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell you how to be saved. These men are servants of the Most High God, and they've come to tell us how to be saved. Can you picture it? 
Here these guys are walking. Here's this little girl running behind them, just shouting out these things. And he shouted it out, says in verse 18, went on day after day. That's all she would do, just running around. You know, your kids, you know, have annoying sounds. Like mine try to just come up with annoying sounds, like, <laughs> you have kids too, right? Well, here's, here's Paul, and he's like, he just hears, these people are coming to be saved, these people. And he's like, it finally grates on him. It finally gets to the place where he can't take it anymore. And it says, it went on for day after day until Paul got so exasperated. They turned and he said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Verse 19, then her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. And so they grabbed Paul and Silas and they dragged him before the authorities of the marketplace. Verse 20, it says, they said to them, the whole city's in uproar because of these Jews. Is that true? (laughs) No, just them. You know, the, he says, the whole city's in an uproar because of them. They shouted it to the city officials. And he says, and then when the city officials didn't really do anything about it, they, they, they carried on and said, they're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Again, not true. They just cared that their money, their source of money was going to be gone. Well, as they're yelling stuff at the officials who, you know, a lot of times they had these raised porticos where that's where the, you'd go to, to bring your case to the officials or to the judge. And they'd be shouting up there and, and they're not getting any answers. And so they're like, you know, they're, they're teaching us things against, against the Romans. And, and all of a sudden, the other people are like, what, they are? Okay. And so the, it says a mob just all of a sudden joins in. Everybody just decides, okay, I guess what they said is right. And so they begin to shout. And this mob quickly forms against Paul and Silas. And so then the city officials are like, well, hey, you know what? Let's appease the mob. And so the officials tell them, fine, strip those men and beat them with rods. And so here's what happens. Verse 23, it says they were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. And a jailer was ordered to make sure they couldn't escape. And so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks and hit the pause button for a minute. Because many of you, just as myself, have read this story many times. And we're so, so tempted to just breeze right past the details. You know, have you ever watched a scary movie the second time? You know, it's like you're watching this movie, you're on pins and needles. It's scary, it's scary. And, and the second time, you're like, eh, I know what happens. You know, it's going to be fine. I moved to my in-law's place, and I discovered that they have a whole bunch of Hardy Boy books. And I used to read the Hardy Boys when I was a kid. I tried reading it again. Uh, this time, I just don't have time. But I remember as a kid, I'd read the Hardy Boys, and, and I'd, I'd, I'd get through, and, I, and I'd, I'd try and finish the book in a day. Because if I got to bed that night, and I didn't know what had happened to Joe Hardy, I, I couldn't sleep. I'm like, they're going to die. They're going to die. And, my, and I'd stay up till like, way too late trying to read the book. And then my, my dad one day says, Mark, just just go read the last page, you know, or just go and see if it's the last book in the series. And so I'd be like, okay. And, and, and so I, I couldn't get to the end. I just go and flip to the end. I read, oh, good. Frank and Joe Hardy are still alive. I can go to sleep and I can read this tomorrow. You know, we just breeze right on through. We skip all the details of, of what happened. If we just go back to those verses for a minute, it says in verse 22, they were stripped and they were beaten with wooden rods. Here's two men who haven't done anything wrong. Here's here's what's happened to them. They're severely beaten, and they're thrown into a prison. Prison's not like here. It says not only that, but they were put in the inner dungeon where they couldn't escape, where it's dark, and there's rats, and it's cold, and they're, they're in pain, and their feet are clamped in stocks so they can't get away. You know, we read sometimes so quickly through that we know what's going to happen. We're like, of course they're going to make it. They're the heroes of the Bible. Of course they're going to make it out. It's all good. You know, we, we, what we fail to realize is as Paul and Silas are sitting in that jail cell, they don't know how this is going to end. 
They're sitting in that spot in, the, in incredible pain, incredible darkness. They, they don't know how. It's, it's not like Paul says, hey, Silas, don't worry. I read Luke's uh, rest of his manuscript. We're getting out of here at midnight. Just chillax, bro. We're good. He, he doesn't know. We get to read that, but, but they didn't know. What do you think would go through their minds sitting in that prison cell in that moment? Maybe blame? You know, Silas is sitting there like, dang you, Paul. It's all your fault. You and your dumb visions. How do you know that was even God? Why are we here if that was God, huh? And maybe Paul's like, Silas, I'm serious. It was him. You know, God, why, why did you take us here? And if you did, why did you let them lie about us? You know, God, why, if, if you like, if you care about us so much, why are we hurting? Why are we in so much pain right now? It's just as, it just doesn't seem like the, the, that you're in this. You know why I think that's some of the thoughts? Because I think that's some of the thoughts that go through our minds when we face really difficult stuff. Because I hear it come out of mouths all the time. You know, that this fear, this doubt, this anger, blame, anxiety that comes around it. And it's like, you know, if God was for me, I don't know why I'm going through all this difficult stuff. I don't know why, you know, t- tough stuff has got to happen in my life. Why, you know, my family just keeps getting hit by one after another after another. Either God hates me or the enemy's just really after my family. And all those words as they're sitting in that cell, you know, James, James would, he wrote the things that Jesus taught. These are the things that they would know. My brothers, when you fall into various trials, when you fall in all kinds of awful situations, he says, consider it an opportunity to trust God. Consider it an opportunity for, for joy. Well, the story continues in verse 25. It says, around midnight, around midnight, started in the day, now it's midnight. It's the darkest part of the night. Here they are sitting there. Do you, do you guys ever watch the clock at night? You know, I had a man cold this week. I was super sick, and I coughing and can't sleep. And you lay there, and you look at the clock. You're like, oh, 2.30. Oh, man, go to sleep. Just, just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. Count sheep. One sheep, two sheep. Oh, I forgot to feed the sheep. Oh, and, you, and it's like, you, you just can't. You're like, oh, it's 3.30. You're like, oh, you know, what? Uh, those, those things. Well, here, here they are around, around midnight. You know, I... Me, I, I just picture me moaning and aching with a man cold. I'm thinking I wouldn't blame them if that was them, if they're sitting in that prison cell moaning and, and aching and, and not feeling the joy. But here's what it says. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Paul and Silas are praying and singing. I'm like, who does that? Seriously, who does that in the times of this deep darkness and in this, in this incredible pain? Um, when they ended up in this, in this place, um, here's, here's the thought. They, were, they hadn't done anything wrong. They hadn't done anything wrong. They, they were in this place. They hadn't done anything wrong. And here they are praying and singing. You know, you may have read the story this week of Kay Longstaff from the UK. Um, be careful. This is her. Careful about taking selfies because it may end up on the news or in my messages. But here's uh, Kay Longstaff, the one, the blonde one in the middle. She's 46 years old. And last Saturday, she was on a Norwegian cruise ship in the Adriatic Sea near Croatia. And one minute, she's living the dream, just enjoying all that cruising life has to offer. And then around midnight, it instantly turned into a nightmare. She was on the seventh deck, and she fell off the back of the boat. No one noticed. And she was in the water, in the uh, 20-degree water of the sea at midnight. Well, she was found the next morning, really close to actually where she fell off the boat, uh, 10 hours later. 10 hours she was in this cold water all night. 
You know, they rescued her and they asked her, you know, it's, she had no life jacket. They're like, how did you stay alive? And she says, you know what? She says, it was cold. I was tired. She says, so I started singing. I just kept singing to stay awake and to stay afloat. And she says, funny, I didn't even feel the cold. You know, we wouldn't blame Paul and Silas if they were moaning and groaning, but here they are singing the praises of someone. You know, and as you look that up and you look at the, the words that, that they're singing hymns, they're not singing the hymns that we know, but they had their own hymns that they would sing. And actually, if you, if you read Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, these are some of the hymns that they would, were specifically, um, that they would memorize to sing to the Lord, it would remind them of who they are. I thought about that, and, you know, I thought, is it possible? You know, Paul was a Pharisee. He would have memorized all of these, all of these hymns, all of these songs, but it's possible they were singing even these words from Psalm 115. He pictured two guys sitting in this prison cell, hurting, beaten, singing these words, not to us, O Lord, not to us. It's your name that goes all the glory for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. Come on, Silas. Why let the, the nations around us say, where's their God? Our God's in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. Another translation says, our God's in the heavens, and he is mighty to act. He moves. He can do what he says he can do. Verse 4, it says, they're idols. They're merely things of silver and gold. They're shaped by human hands. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, but they can't see. They have ears, but can't hear. Their noses can't smell. They have hands, but can't feel. They have feet, but can't walk. They have throats, but they can't make a sound. And those who make those idols are just like them, as, as are all who trust in them. Maybe we can put that to music and sing it next week. He says, oh, Israel. You can maybe picture them, Paul saying, oh, Israel, you know, trust in the Lord because he's your helper and your shield. Oh, priests, descendants of Aaron, trust the Lord. And Silas is like, he's your helper and he's your shield. And all of you who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. And together, he is your helper. He is your shield. Maybe they sang Psalm 117. It's so short, you could even memorize it. It says this, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people of the earth, for his unfailing love for us is powerful. The Lord's faithfulness, it endures forever. Praise the Lord. Hear these two prisoners in the, in the time of their great darkness and their great trial. Here they sing out words that just simply remind them of who God is. They don't know how it's going to end, but they simply trust that he does. They don't know how they're coming out, but they simply trust that he does. And here, here's what happens next, and it's incredible. Luke writes it for us in his journal. We have it translated all these years later. Verse 26, suddenly, here they are, two guys at midnight singing, and suddenly there's a massive earthquake. The prison was shaken to the very foundations. All the doors immediately fly open. The chains of every prisoner fall off. Like, this is Luke, who's a guy who says, I want to write an accurate account. I'm not making stuff up. This is what happened that night. This is what happened. You know, the jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. He had been commanded, it's either your life or theirs. Make sure they don't leave. And Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We're all here. Verse 29, the jailer called for lights, ran into the dungeon, couldn't believe it. Here they are. They all are here. He fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, the guy who had probably helped beat them, put them in the stocks, and he probably wasn't kind to them. All of a sudden, it says in verse 30, then he brought them out and he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It wasn't their first day in town. He knew their message. He knew why they were in there. He says, what must I do to be saved? And maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what? 
I, I see people around me that just have something. He said, like, I don't know what that is, but God, what do, what do I need to do to be whole inside? What do I need to do to be fixed inside, to be saved inside? And here's what they replied, and the answer they gave him is the answer for you. It says, believe in or trust on, put your trust in the, uh, in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved along with everyone else in your household. That doesn't mean that because the jailer does, everyone else is saved, but it's, it's open for everyone. That if you trust it's not just the jailer, but your family. If, if your family trusts, they'll be saved. And so it says in verse 32, they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. And verse 33, even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And he and everyone in the household were immediately baptized. They became followers of a Jesus who they had never met simply because of what happened with Paul. Verse 34, he brought them into his house. He set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Powerful story. You know, what many preachers and what many people want to try and do at this point is make a formula. They make a formula, A plus B equals C. You know, you're familiar with formulas, but here's, here's oftentimes what happens when people read Scripture and they read a story like this. They, they read this. They read A. If you are in a troublesome time, if you are facing a trial like Paul and Silas, if you are in some prison of your own making, or if you've got something difficult going on in your life, plus... B, if you trust in the Lord and choose joy, that equals everything's going to be all right. You're getting out. That's Bob Marley. That's not Jesus. Everything is not guaranteed to be all right. That's not what Luke's trying to tell us. See, because why we talk about it is that's not the God of the Bible. God never promised that it's always going to work out or that we're going to avoid pain. See, because I've seen so many people have this as their excuse why they don't want to follow Jesus anymore. They don't want to have anything to do with Christ anymore and Christianity because there's pain. How can God allow pain? How can God allow this pain in our lives? You know, Jesus didn't promise that we would escape pain. He actually promised the opposite. He said, in this world, you're going to have pain. I promise you. You're going to have pain. And he says, but take heart because I've overcome the world, meaning it isn't all about here. You're going to have pain here, but it isn't all about here. The truth is you could be doing exactly what God wants you to do and be in incredible pain. Sometimes we think, oh, God, I must have missed it somewhere because I'm facing difficult situations. Paul and Silas hadn't missed it anywhere. They were doing exactly what God had asked them to do, and yet they still faced incredible difficult situation. My challenge to you this morning, encouragement to you and to those you know, don't let your situation determine whether you'll trust God or not. Don't let the situation be what determines whether you trust him or not, whether you will follow him or not. He said, you know what, in, 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 my brothers, when you face difficult times, consider that an opportunity to trust him. Not consider it an opportunity to doubt him, be angry, to go a different way, because it's, it's this opportunity for joy that as you trust him, you'll see his hand carry you through. Do you know that Paul was beaten three times with rods through his journey? He wouldn't have been beaten three times if after the first time he hadn't said, you know, I'm going to keep trusting. But it didn't cause him to avoid any more beatings. It didn't change the love of God for him. Joy does not change the outcome of the journey. Too often we think that, oh, if I just do A plus B, it's going to equal C. If I pray and if I have faith, then this is going to happen. That's not Bible. That's bull, loney. That is not how that works. And so what happens so often is I prayed, I had faith, and ah, I have pain. Either God didn't do something or I did something wrong, and that's not the case. That is not the case. It's the opportunity to continue to trust him. Paul didn't 
Paul didn't trust that joy was going to change the end result because it doesn't, but it changes the journey. It changes the journey and has the opportunity to change a whole lot more on the journey. Paul didn't think that everything would work out. You know how I know that? He wasn't convinced that he was always going to get out of jail free because a few years later, the same Paul sitting in another jail cell where he spent all kinds of time in jail cells and he wrote letters to all the believers around the world telling them, you can have joy, choose joy, choose joy. He says, you know, walk in the spirit and the fruit of that's going to be joy in your life. I pray that as you trust in him, Holy Spirit and God the Father will fill you with his joy. And then he writes this letter to a young man named Timothy. Timothy is, a, is like his son. Timothy is the one that he mentored. and He left to pastor a church after he left. And here's what he writes. He's sitting in a jail cell saying, Timothy, it's because of the gospel that I'm suffering here in prison. I'm not ashamed of it. Here I am, I'm suffering again. But he says, but I know the one in whom I trust. Nothing's gonna change who I trust. He says, I'm sure he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until the day of his return. He says, I'm not trusting him till I get out of jail. I'm not trusting on my timetable. I'm trusting him on his. I'm trusting that until the day of his return, he's got this for me. Timothy, I trust him completely now and always. And at the end of this letter, he says to Timothy, he writes them, Tim, I know that the time of my death is near. I know that the time of my end is close. I know, Tim, that this time I'm not getting out. And yet, Tim, I trust him completely. What tradition tells us, he was right. Not long after that, two soldiers would have come to to Paul's prison cell, said, taking him out. You know, today, Paul, it's not your one hour of freedom, not your one hour uh, just to, to, you know, breathe some fresh air. But as he would walk that that laneway, that stone laneway to that place where they would martyr him for believing in Jesus. He'd walk there having made statements that, Timothy, my joy is full. My joy is full. See, sometimes we read and we think it's like this book of stories, fairy tales, where it always works out in the end and everything's good. That's not the point. He says, brothers, when, not if, when you face trials, when you go through the darkest of dark, when you go through the deepest chasms of life, I'm there and I am with you and I will not leave you and I will not forget you. It does not change my love for you. Would you trust in me? Would you trust in me? You know, how Paul lived is why we even know about him. How Paul chose joy is why we even know about him. And you know, there's people who experience happiness and joy as a result of Paul's choices and we know some of them, we know that the jailer was pretty happy that Paul chose joy in that moment because his whole life was changed after that. You know, we know that the other prisoners were happy that Paul and Silas chose joy in that moment. How do we know? <laughs> because the next morning, they may have woke up still in prison, but they had a new jailer. That guy had been changed. And as Jesus' followers, he would have been said, love others the way I love you, including your prisoners. We know that churches throughout time were happy that they had the chance to be encouraged to choose joy through the letters of Paul. The church throughout the ages, and I, myself, today too, am thankful that Paul chose joy in that moment because it's an example for us in, in, in the life that we go through and the things that we go through. And I'm thankful. Do you know what? Joy doesn't change the outcome. It changes the journey. And we know it from our greatest example, Jesus because this is what it says in Hebrews 12, 2. It's our last verse today. Hebrews 12, 2 says this. 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. We follow Jesus by keeping our eyes on him, the champion who initiates and perfects our trust in him. Why? Because of the joy that was awaiting him. Here's what it says. Jesus had joy awaiting him, but he still had to endure the cross. It just wasn't just like, oh, you know, it's, I got joy, so I don't have to go through it. It was the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross. He disregarded the shame, and now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne because eventually in the end, in the end, it's not all about here. As you keep your trust in him, there's more to this life than just this life. That is the hope that we have, which is incredible. So the question this morning is, what about you and what about me? What do, what do we do with this? The truth, the truth is no one avoids pain. No one. No one can avoid all pain, all trials, all struggles, all difficult situations completely. You can avoid some. You know, by wisdom, you can avoid some. You drive the speed limit all the time, you'll avoid having to be pulled over and get a speeding ticket. You know, you treat your spouse right, you know, you can avoid uh, having to go through, um, you know, difficult relational things. You know, you, you keep um, paying what you owe on your credit card, you can avoid having to go through those phone calls of the debt collectors and, and those kind of trials. You can avoid some by wisdom, but you can't avoid them all. You cannot avoid them all. The truth is you cannot choose whether you're going to go through pain, trials, or struggles or not, but the truth is you can choose how you go through them. You can choose how you're going to go through them. I'll leave you with one story and one verse, and then we'll close. There's a guy last week named, uh, or a couple weeks ago, named Eddie Prosser. Eddie Prosser is from Jackson, Mississippi, and uh, he noticed a while back that there was a pothole on his street, and so he started calling the, calling the city to come and fix this pothole, and uh, they didn't come and fix it, and so he called again. They didn't come and fix it. He called again. He was getting angry because they just would not come, and his car was beginning to get uh, in disrepair as a result, and then he noticed there was two more potholes forming, and so he called, and he called, and he called. He called 311 times. Nobody came to fix the potholes. Then all of a sudden, he decided he would change his tactic. It had been a year since he had first started making the phone calls, and so he decided instead that he would go and spend his hard-earned money and buy balloons and cards and a whole bunch of festivities and throw a party for the pothole in his street, his one-year birthday party for a pothole. And so everybody thought, this is crazy. Well, all his neighbors came for the free food, and they joined around at this big birthday party for a pothole. And guess who gets a hold of that? Well, the local news comes down, and they start taking pictures and putting it all over the news. Man throws birthday party for pothole. Guess what gets fixed next week? The pothole. You know, and for some, the question is, what kind of potholes you got going on in your life? What kind of struggles and trials going on in your life that maybe they've been there for a long time? It's just always been this, you know, it gets you angry. It gets you anxious. It gets, you know, you got doubt and you got fear and you got blame and you got all these other things that are going around. It's 311 times you've complained to the Lord about it. Maybe it's time to just choose to say, you know what, God, I'm in it, but you know that. And God, I'm, I'm going to walk through, but I'm walking through it with you. Today is an encouragement to choose joy. So maybe you start reading through those Psalms and remind yourself of this, because that's what it is. It's to remember things like this, that I might be in this, but God, you are always good, because that's what he promised. He didn't promise that I'm not going to have pain, but he promised that he's always going to be with me. So God, I'm confident that you are with me in this moment. I'm confident that you love me completely because it's what you promised. I, I know that you promised that I would have grace and that I would have mercy in time of need. God, I know that you promised that you are faithful and that you are trustworthy. And so I will hold on to that. And I know that you promise that you'll produce joy in my life if I will live and follow your spirit and if I will trust in you. 
Paul wrote to the Romans this way, and it's his prayer for them, and it's my prayer for you this morning. He said this, I pray. I pray that the God, that God, the source of hope, that he would fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him or as you trust in him, and you'll overflow with confident hope through the power of Holy Spirit. Can we pray? Father, we pray that over us this morning, that no matter what we're walking through, and there's a lot of stuff, that as thoughts flood our mind, Lord, I, I pray this morning that your truth would flood our minds, that we'd be reminded of your incredible love for us, that we'd be reminded of your goodness, that we'd be reminded that we are not alone and you have not forsaken us. Father, I pray this morning that those would not just be words on a page, but they'd be words of life to the heart and souls of people in this place. God, as we walk through difficult things, you are there and you are carrying us. God, that we can trust in you wholeheartedly and completely. Lord, I know it's difficult and stuff that we face to choose joy, to choose to just trust in you and embrace the, that, that gladness, that joy that just carries us through. It's not happy, but it's strong. Lord, I pray that over every person this morning as we walk out of this place, that we're not leaving you behind, but that you are with us. And as we live this life with you, that people would see you in us and see you through us. And may they be drawn to you. May their lives be changed as a result. May lost people not be lost anymore because they found you. God, for the ones who are around our lives, listening to our lives, may they hear us singing your praise, singing the truth of who you are in spite of whatever we may walk through. Lord, and may you receive glory for that. In your name I pray, amen.